Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Uh, it's lovely to have Jenny back with us again, and uh, good to see you all here on this rather miserable day. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee at the end of this service. The service will be led by our Minister Katrina, and as you can see, includes communion. And everyone who is trying to follow Jesus is invited to take part. Uh, the February edition of our church magazine is available today for free Thank you, Anne. <coughs> I thought I'd have a change this morning for the call to worship. I thought I'd make you do some work. So we're going to do a call and response type call to worship. So I will say the words that are in yellow on the screen or <coughs> are in the slightly larger type on the service sheet and you are invited to join in the response which is white on the screen or slightly smaller on the service sheet. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day when Christ rose from death. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day when God's Spirit came afresh. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day when we meet in Christ's name. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And so in rejoicing and gladness, we join together in our opening hymn, which is one of many that takes us through the story of Jesus' life in a byre near Bethlehem. Thanks, Paul.
And so now we bring our prayers of praise and thanksgiving, our prayers of confession, and then we will join together in the words Jesus taught his followers, as always in the version that feels most normal and natural to each one of us. So let's pray together. Creator God, on this new day, we meet to offer our praise and thanksgiving for the ongoing miracle of your creativity. Not only did you imagine the cosmos and everything it contains, but you delighted to speak a single word and out of the chaos of nothingness began to emerge everything. Not only are you the source and origin of all that is, you delight in all you have created, declaring it to be good and blessing it. And so now, as part of that loved and cherished creation, we offer you our praise, our thanks, and our own delight. Redeemer God, on this new day, we bring with us the weight of care caused by the challenges of everyday life in a world marred by the consequences of human shortcomings. Not only are we affected by the consequences of the choices made by those who came before us, but our own choices continue to impact us and our well-being and the well-being of others and we are sad. Not only are we hurt and hurting, we deliberately or accidentally hurt and harm the earth that is our home and the home of those who will come after us. So now as part of that damaged and disordered creation, we offer our confession, regret and remorse, seeking your healing and forgiveness. Sustainer God, on this new day, we dare to be hopeful to trust that your words and promises are true. Not only have you made all things and redeemed all things, but you sustain and renew all things. Not only do you promise us a renewed heaven and earth at the end of time, you are here at work to recreate and renew it day by day by day and so as those who have the audacity to believe what the ancients entrusted to us we join our voices in the words Jesus taught his followers saying together our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. have been thinking about what life might have been like for Jesus when he was growing up. We thought about the games he might play, we thought about what his education might have been like, and last week we thought a little bit about the synagogue and the temple. Today, rather than me doing loads of research, I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm going to give you just a minute or so to turn to those near you. If you're sitting on your own, you might have to move a little bit, and just to talk to each other for about a minute. What are your favourite stories in the Gospels of Jesus? So what are your favourite stories? So you've just got, do it quickly, just turn to those around you and have a quick chat. Okay, I'm afraid that is your time up. Would anybody feel brave enough to share something, one of the stories that was mentioned in, in your little conversations. Anybody feeling brave enough to? Jenny. Um, I've always identified with Martha in the Martha and Mary story. Okay, yeah. I'm the Martha that's charging around cooking meals for everybody and doing the hospitality and not sitting at Jesus' 
speech and I'm really going to sympathise with her. Absolutely. I think she gets a rough deal in that story. <laughs> okay, so the story about Mary and Martha. Thank you, Jenny. That's great because it's a story in which we can see something of ourselves. Brilliant. Um, anybody else feel they'd like to share? Lena. Ah, Jesus cooking breakfast, yeah. <laughs> like that one. <laughs> is, is there a specific reason why you particularly like that, Lena? Well, because it's unusual, isn't it? The, the whole thing, and of course that's just after the, the resurrection and the disciples. Yep. I'm so confused. But anyway, there's fish. Yep, brilliant. So Jesus, who is just resurrected, but he's conscious that it's a very strange thing that he, his friends have just been out fishing and had a rubbish night. So they're going to be cold and tired and hungry, and he looks after their practical needs. And he surprises you because he does what you wouldn't expect a man to do. Brilliant. Anybody else feel they'd like... Anita. We thought about another food one. Um, <laughs> Jesus shared the bread and fish that the little boy brought up. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yep, so the importance of children in Jesus' story. Um, when he was a child himself and the children he met... And again, we're back to food uh, and sharing. So thank you. That's brilliant and practical. Thank you. Anybody over here want to share something? This is a shy side, obviously. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody at this end want to share um, any of the stories that you picked? No? Well, Anne, thank you. It wasn't one I shared, but listening to the others reminded me. Um, the way that uh, when the woman wanted to... Um, use the expensive perfume uh, in Jesus and the disciples wanted her not to do it and Jesus said no let right so this was the woman that brought the expensive oil and she poured it out on Jesus' feet and his disciples went what a terrible waste and Jesus said no no just leave her alone she's doing something very beautiful very special it's interesting, isn't it? We've all got stories that, that resonate with us for different reasons. Um, I kind of like the food theme. I do think Jesus liked his food. There are an awful lot of stories where he was either eating or talking about eating or giving people food to eat. So that's certainly true. But isn't it interesting that we have our stories about Jesus that are important to us? And so did the people who wrote the Gospels. We've got four Gospels, as you know very well, and yes, there is some stuff that's in all of them, but each of them have got some stuff that only they choose to share. And this is because we have four people who have collected the stories of Jesus that they think, these are the best ones, these are the ones I want to, to pass on to, to the people I'm sharing with about Jesus. And we're not going to do it because we don't have time, but I wonder if we were going to write a unified hillhead gospel which stories of Jesus we would choose to put in and which might just get left out because actually for us they're not the most important they're all important they're all there because they're important but some of them for each person and for each congregation will feel more or less important you wanted to say something Elham you've got a look on your face that says I want to speak Forgiveness, love, mercy. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yep. So we've got a very practical Jesus, a very loving, merciful, forgiving Jesus, a Jesus that loves children, a Jesus that encourages and affirms women, whether they're running around like headless what's-its doing their cooking or whether they are actually doing something very beautiful and sacrificial. 
Thank you so much for that. We're going to sing one of my childhood Sunday school hymns now. We're not doing all the verses, and because it doesn't quite finish, if you only do part of them, we're going to sing the first verse again at the end. Tell me the stories of Jesus. I love to hear things I would ask him to tell me if he were here. Thanks, Paul. first reading today is Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 to 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. 
He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of goodness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The second reading is Luke 4, verses 14 to 31. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is, not this, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow of Zarethath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. 
they were astounded at his teaching because he spoke with authority. So our journey through the beginning of Luke has taken us through his necessarily brief account of the early life of Jesus. He's the only one, as we know, who talks about Jesus as a child um, in the temple. He's the only one that gives us any hint of anything before the time of Jesus' baptism. But now he begins to align himself with the other synoptic gospel writers and begins to talk about Jesus' itinerant ministry, travelling between Galilee and Jerusalem taking in various towns and cities and meeting all sorts and sizes of different people. After his private sojourn, during which he fasted and prayed and found himself tempted to exercise his divine power and privilege in ways that would have been contrary to God's intent, he starts to preach in the synagogues of the villages and towns in Galilee. And he seems to have been quite popular. We join him as he returns home to Nazareth, to the place that he grew up, and on the Sabbath he goes, as you would expect, to worship at the synagogue. Here he's invited to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. If you remember from last week, it would have been paraded around the synagogue, brought to the place from which it is read, and it would have been handed to him. Carefully he finds his place, and he reads out the words. Words that would have been familiar to his hearers. Words that have been a sign of hope for generation upon generation. Living under the jurisdiction of Rome, perhaps they wonder if they will ever once again be a truly free people. Perhaps they feel downtrodden, marginalised, exiled, even oppressed, as they hear them. But these are beautiful words from the prophet Isaiah. A God who is faithful, a God who will bring healing and release for those whom God loves, those with whom God has made an everlasting covenant promise. 
I imagine the people sat with bated breath. Perhaps they had quietly mouthed those words along with Jesus. These were good words and it felt good to hear them. God is still God and the words of the prophet do not change. Perhaps they're smiling and nodding as they listen. He reads well, this Jesus, son of Joseph, our local lad, all grown up, and he seems to be emerging as a teacher, a rabbi who can explain and preach on the sacred texts, and from what we hear, he's really popular elsewhere. And then he rolls up the scroll. He hands it back and he says, today this scripture has come true. Could this really be Joseph's son speaking with such conviction, such confidence, such authority, even having the audacity to say, that these words had come true as he read them. Why did he have to say that? Why could he not have just stopped by reading the beautiful words? They're all there on tenterhooks, waiting to see what he says. The trouble is, when he starts to speak, it's not what they want to hear. No doubt what you want me to say is what you want to hear is the essence of his opening words. But the uncomfortable truth, the one that he says and they don't like, is there is one place a prophet's voice will not be heard. And that is amongst those who have known them all their lives. These people are caught on the horns of a dilemma. These are good people, devout people, faithful people. But here is this Jesus who grew up among them. And they can remember him when he was a little boy with grubby knees playing. And they can remember how when he was a young man, he spent a lot of time sitting with rabbis and teachers, asking questions about the scriptures trying to understand what they meant and what they meant for now. And they've loved watching him grow up. He is their own. But on the other hand, he's changed. He had this baptism fairly recently. He's gone off on his own, spending time fasting and praying And now he not only stands and reads the scriptures beautifully, he says, this is their fulfillment. But how can it be? How can he have the audacity to declare these words to be fulfilled when they just have to look outside the door to realise that it's not so? The Romans are still in charge. People are still being arrested and executed. Life is hard and painful. 
people get sick, people are imprisoned, people die. If this is the year of the Lord's favour, well, frankly, it's pretty unimpressive. Maybe Jesus starts to detect how the mood around him is changing. Maybe he's really disappointed that they see him as this little boy that they've always known. Perhaps he is irritated because the very words that fill him with passion and vision don't seem to do the same for those who are hearing him. And in that moment, he calls to mind two of the most famous prophets of the past, Elijah and Elisha or Elisha or Elisha, whose stories illustrate what he's feeling and they inform his response. A prophet is not accepted in his hometown, or her hometown for that matter. He talks about Elijah, how there had been a severe famine that affected the whole of Israel, and surely countless widows experienced hunger and destitution. But not one of them received a special blessing from God. Rather, It was a widow from Sidon in a village called Zarephath who was persuaded to prepare a meal for the prophet using the very last of her flour and oil, even to the extent that she denied her own only son a meal. She was a foreigner, an outsider, somebody beyond contempt, and yet she welcomed the prophet. And as the scriptures record, her oil and her flour never ran out as she continued to share with Elijah what she had. Well, what about Elisha, approached by the foreign official Naaman, who was afflicted with leprosy and wanted to be healed? I suspect Naaman was pretty much going in desperation. And it was certainly at the suggestion of his wife's Hebrew handmaiden. But go he did. And he listened to what the prophet said. And even though he was unimpressed at the idea of having to go and wash himself in this mucky foreign river, he did as the prophet commanded him. But seemingly, other people, Hebrew people, afflicted with leprosy, were not healed. This wasn't what the good people of Nazareth wanted to hear on that Sabbath. How dare this upstart say that God could act outside their own people, let alone suggest that those willing and able to hear the promises and prophecies of God might be foreigners. How dare he suggest that blessing could go beyond them? How dare he? And they're so angry, they are so enraged that Jesus is frog-marched out of the synagogue up onto the cliff top where they contemplate throwing him off. The words he'd read them from Isaiah are well-loved. They're beautiful words, they're hopeful words, they're comforting words. But what he then goes on to say is that if you don't get it, 
If you don't see who I am and live out what the prophet says, then God is going to go elsewhere. And that's too much. So they get up to the edge and something stops them. They don't push him off just as well because there'd be no more story if they did. Maybe they've calmed down. Maybe they realise that murder is not the answer. Maybe they wonder, is there something in what he says after all? Whatever the explanation is, Jesus just walks back through the crowd. It's a really strange picture that conjures up. They just move away and he walks down the hill, away from Nazareth, back to Capernaum, where he will continue to teach people. He was a local lad made good. He was a radical teacher. He was an unwelcome prophet. And he was the anointed one of God charged to fulfill that prophecy. Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. And in order for him to fulfill his destiny, he had to leave behind all that was familiar in Nazareth. Seems that it was too dangerous for him to stay there where even his own townsfolk might wish to harm him. When I was a teenager, which is a long time ago, there were a couple of popular ways that people used to describe the crisis that is seen here. Some preachers would use an alliterative set of words that Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or he was the Lord. And others would use a different set of words and say that either he was mad, bad, or God. The evidence is that for 2,000 years, give or take, people have read the stories of Jesus and decided that he was not insane. He was not mad. He was not a lunatic even if his ideas were radical and sometimes extreme. And similarly, people of all faiths and none have deduced that he was not evil, he was not bad, he was not a liar. He wasn't motivated by greed or power or selfish ambition, quite the opposite. People of many faiths and none look at Jesus and see a teacher whose words are worth listening to. Radical, challenging, but as we heard earlier, somebody who values women, somebody who is concerned for practical welfare, somebody who surprises us, meets us in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. And so if he's not mad and he's not bad, if he's not a liar or he's not a lunatic, then the preachers would say, well, he must be the Lord. He must be God. And I agree with them. Jesus said, I am the one 
anointed by God's spirit to bring good news to the least and the lost. And that is good news. But then there comes the rub, doesn't there? There's always a rub with these stories. There's always a rub when you have to engage with Jesus. Because actually the church with a big C, the church global and through time, has become the home of Jesus. And we like him tame. We like him when he's in a manger and we can go gaga over him. We quite like him when he's a little boy standing up to the people in the temple. But when he comes into the synagogue and starts saying things that we think we understand and then twisting them, hmm, not so easy. And those words he speaks to the people in the synagogue, if you don't get it, then think about Elijah, think about Elisha. That's scary stuff. Well, it's scary to me anyway. It's scary because it cuts through any complacency or ease we might feel. It's scary because it reminds us that believing the right things isn't enough unless we live the right life, unless we live out these values of inclusion and affirmation and practical help that we mentioned earlier. And we know that. You don't need me to tell you that. You've been hearing it for years. And we really do try to live out those values. And in fact, when a preacher has the audacity to stand up and preach on this and say, this is a risky story, it can feel like they're telling you off. And the preacher can feel pretty scared too because they trust that God has led them to explore this story. It's scary stuff. And even with the best will in the world, even if we listen and we hear, even if we are willing to do what Jesus tells us to do, it's still scary. Because if we look out of those windows or out of those doors, the world is still broken and disordered. We still have our equivalents of the Romans. We still have our people who are the equivalents of the lepers and the outcasts, and the strangers, and the widows. And we can feel just useless. What can we do? After all, we're just a few people in a big, complicated city. And that's before we think any further to national and international matters. I think this is where we can actually reclaim and reread the examples of Elijah and Elisha. Because we can't, on our own, solve world poverty. We cannot feed every single hungry person, free every prisoner, heal every sick person, or overcome every injustice. But we can make a difference to one person here and one family there and one situation somewhere else. We can make a difference locally. I know I have told you the parable of the starfish many times, but it's a parable that I always think stands a retelling. 
One day, a person was strolling along the beach at low tide and they saw a young child who was also out walking. And every now and then, the child would stoop down, pick something up and throw it right out into the sea. The adult was puzzled. So they came a bit closer and they realised that what the child was doing was picking up starfish that had been stranded as the water receded. What are you doing that for? The adult asked. If I leave them, they'll die, said the child as they threw back another starfish. The adult looked up and down the shoreline. There were hundreds of starfish. Look, they said, see how many there are. You cannot make a difference. The child bent down, picked up another starfish, threw it into the sea, made a difference for that one, they said. And it's the same for us. As we hear the words of Jesus, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us as Christ's body in this place. And it is us who are anointed to bring good news to all people, to play our part in healing those who are hurt, setting free those who are ensnared, comforting those who are sad. Not in the abstract, not in impossibly huge projects, but as we walk along the shoreline of our own lives, one metaphorical starfish at a time. Every one of us could be like the woman who poured out the oil. Every one of us could be like Jesus, making breakfast for cold, hungry, tired people. Every one of us could be like the Jesus who welcomed the stranger, who lifted up the child, who told Martha, just have a rest, Martha. It's okay. You've not got to run yourself ragged. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us, for we are called to be and to speak good news in a hurting world. So let us take our courage in both hands and play our part in being that good news in this part of God's world. God's spirit is in my heart.
this morning we've heard how at the very start of his ministry Jesus set out his priorities how Jesus nailed his colours to the mast in spite of cost to himself so in our prayers for others this morning we will pray for some in our own church family in our sister churches around Scotland and in the BMS around the world who are still living out those same priorities who are still pursuing Jesus' agenda. So let us pray. God our Father, we give you thanks that in Jesus, you showed us how to live. You taught us what it really means to be great. You demonstrated the depth of your love for the oppressed and the brokenhearted and you revealed the shape of your kingdom. And recalling and treasuring these things, we give you thanks for the people in whose lives we see your grace and your goodness at work still in our world. So in our own church family, we give thanks today for John and for Heather. We give thanks for the ways in which John supported Miss Allen in her work with homeless and addicted men for over 40 years. And we ask you to bless him as he continues to faithfully support the work of Friday Friendship, week in and week out. And we give you thanks for Heather and for the creative gifts that you have given her. We pray that you will help her as she balances supporting an elderly parent as well as her own family with a demanding job in the classroom. Give her the energy she needs to care for pupils and family alike and bless all teachers and pupils, we pray. And in the wider Baptist family in Scotland, we pray today for Marion Carson, the pastoral support coordinator for Glasgow City Mission. We thank you for her gifts of care and compassion. And we pray that you will guide her as she works to support both the staff and the homeless clients of Glasgow City Mission. We pray for Bowness Baptist Church and Bortry Hill Baptist Church in Irvine, both working in areas of economic deprivation and doing their best to support families living in poverty. Give them the resilience to keep going in difficult circumstances and the resources they need to go on caring.
and we pray for Bray Baptist Church in Shetland. It's hard to imagine a context more different from our own. They're based in an area of sparse population and of outstanding natural beauty. But it's a beauty that conceals problems of rural poverty and isolation. So we ask you to bless the church there as they seek to create community in that remote place. And finally, we pray for the work of BMS in Nepal among people who were left heartbroken by the devastating earthquakes three years ago. We pray for BMS workers who are helping to provide new homes, health care, and new ways to earn an income for those who lost everything in that disaster. May we be inspired by all these folk who are trying to follow Jesus in very different contexts. May they help us to work out what it means for each of us to follow Jesus in this place. Amen.
The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord anoints us to be and to speak good news. The Son of God calls us to remember as we share broken bread and poured out wine, not just with our memories, but also in our lives, the truths he taught us and the promises he has made. So we gather here just as we are, each of us needing to be set free in some way from habits that ensnare us, from untruths that impair our vision or understanding, from the complacency of familiarity, from the fear of inadequacy, maybe from that which we cannot even identify or name. And so as we gather, we take a few moments of stillness and silence, opening our hearts and minds to the anointed one of God who alone is able to heal us, to free us, to restore us, to redeem us. was also familiar the psalms the prayers even the words he spoke to them and then he had to go and change it had to say something different had to appropriate for himself those ancient words this is my body broken for you This is my blood, poured out for you and for the many. When you do this, remember me. Recall who I am. Recall what I taught you. Recall what I showed you. Recall what I commanded you to do and do it. Anointed one of God, fulfiller of ancient prophecies and teacher of timeless truths, in gratitude we remember in faith we commemorate, in hope we anticipate the fulfilment of your promises to us. For this bread, for this wine, and for all they symbolise, we give you thanks. Amen. Jesus took the bread and broke it. 
saying, this is my body. You also are my body. So when you eat this bread, remember me and remember me. Put me back together and live my truths. At the end of the meal, Jesus took the cup of wine, probably the cup of blessing. And he said, this symbolizes the new covenant made in my blood. Whenever you drink it, remember me. Call me to mind and remember me. Put me back together, for you are now the body of Christ. We will retain our glasses to drink together. We are the body of Christ. Christ has no hands or feet but ours, no eyes or ears, no mouth but ours, no mind to think and no heart to love but ours. So let us remember Christ as we drink in faith and thanksgiving. The Christ of God has come among us. The sovereignty of God is begun. The day of the Lord's favour draws nigh. Glory to God. Amen.
Go with us, eternal God, as we go from here. Bless us with the courage to follow Jesus, even when to do so is scary. And may we know the safe embrace of your love today and every day. Thank <coughs> you.